0: chapter 3, and we'll talk about the subject on how to make a difference in your church. How to make a difference in your church. And this, this sort of ties in with the theme from this morning. Once we, once we get our priorities back where they're supposed to be and we get involved, how do we make a difference in our church? A lot of times, Nehemiah chapter 3, it's kind of avoided sometimes. Because it's, uh, it's got a lot of names in it. I asked Chad before church tonight, I said, would you like to read the first five verses of Nehemiah chapter 3 for me? That's our text this evening. And he was like, oh, okay, you don't, you won't, you're not going to do it tonight? I said, I, I think I'd like you to do it. So he looks it up. He looked down at it for about 10 seconds and said, nope, I'm not doing that. With good reason. It's a, it's a list of names. And uh, kind of at first glance you think uh, uh, it's just kind of uninteresting just to read a bunch of names, sort of like going through the genealogies in Scripture. Sometimes those can be difficult to get through. Uh, but there's, there's more to it when we, when we look under the surface and kind of look at the context of what's taking place here. Uh, I think we can see uh, how these individuals made a tremendous difference uh, where they were. And we'll see what we can learn from that. And uh, we'll do our best to try to pronounce the names of these individuals as we go through. To set sort of the stage for it, I think this is kind of interesting, again, to know historically when this is taking place. Uh, if we look at our timeline, we can see where we were this morning. Here's the decree uh, from Cyrus that the Jews could go back to their homeland. And then 515 B.C., the temple is completed. That's what we preached through this morning, Those those years leading up to the construction of the temple, and then you've got Ezra uh, leads the exiles to Judah, and then Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah in, and we're covering sort of this period from 444 to 430. We're looking at this time frame that Nehemiah uh, is preaching and ministering to the people of Israel. And before we actually jump into chapter 3, I want you to go back to set the stage for it, to look at verse number 17 of Nehemiah chapter 2. And we'll see why Nehemiah 3 is such a valuable chapter. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Then I, uh, then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. And Nehemiah chapter 3 is the record of the remarkable feat of mobilizing all of these individuals to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah goes through and and forever recorded in the pages of Scripture and history are the individuals who worked on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And, And we'll notice there's going to be 38 individuals named in the chapter. And there's 42 different groups of people that are identified. So look over to verse number 1 of chapter 3, and it tells us, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it. Even under the tower of Mia they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him they builded the, the men, uh, unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. Uh, but the fish gate did the sons of Hassaneah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up their, uh, the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired meramoth the son of Urijah the son of Kaz, And next unto them repaired Meshelam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabil. And next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baanah. And next unto them... The Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. And we'll pray right there. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to open the pages, the book this evening, and to see what you have for us. Lord, I pray uh, that we are prepared for the the message. I pray that our hearts and the soil is ready to receive uh, what you have for us, Lord, and I pray that it would change our lives uh, if we ask that you meet with us this evening, Lord. This is all uh, just an exercise of futility if you're not present with us this evening. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would go uh, before us this evening and prepare the way. And, Lord, we pray that uh, what we hear encourages us, lifts us, uh, exhorts us, and, and causes us to become better Christians and uh, better followers of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory for what happens this evening. In Jesus' name, amen how to make a tremendous difference in your church. And we'll kind of go through some of the rest of the passage, but it pretty well follows suit uh, as Nehemiah names all of these individuals uh, and these different groups of people, these different uh, craftsmen as they work on the wall. And Nehemiah faced a great challenge to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah had a great faith in a great God. Nehemiah believed that this was important, that this was vital. And so he knew that he couldn't accomplish much on his own. He needed a dedicated group of individuals who had the same vision, uh, the same uh, purpose, the same goal, the same mindset that he had to rebuild the wall. And Nehemiah, I think, was a great example of a leader that had humility We'll notice that as we go through this evening. Uh, I don't think you read the book of Nehemiah and come away thinking that Nehemiah uh, is some uh, arrogant tyrant. Nehemiah, he gave all the credit to the people. If you look over to Nehemiah chapter 4, look at verse number 6. When everything's completed, look at how Nehemiah words this. So built we the wall." And all the wool was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Uh, who does he give credit to? He says it's, it's we, it's us, the people. They're the ones who did it. Uh, he gives the credit to them. Uh, but this is going to be hard work. Someone once said, you know, that they really liked hard work. They could uh, sit and watch it for hours. Really fascinated them. Uh, but when it comes to the work of the Lord, what did we talk about this morning? We, we said from the book of Haggai that it's, it's, not a, it's not a place for us to be spectators. Uh, we, we can't just sit and watch the work of the Lord happen here. We've got to get involved. We've got to be a part of it. And so there's no place for spectators. Uh, there's no place in the work of the Lord for self-appointed advisors. There's no place in the work of the Lord for critics. Uh, we've got a job to do. Nehemiah, they face some of those kind of people. As you read through the book of Nehemiah, there were were critics. Uh, There there was opposition, just like we talked about in Haggai's day, how the Samaritans opposed the rebuilding of the temple. Well, there were those who opposed, and we read there in verse number 5 about the Tekoites, and we'll talk more about them, but there were others as well that opposed the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. So there's no room in the work of the Lord for critics, for self-appointed advisors. There's no room in the work of the Lord for spectators. But you know what there is room for? Workers. That's what Nehemiah needed. He needed some people that would join hands uh, and lock arms and walk forward advancing uh, what he believed was God's calling. And so tonight we'll look at three requirements for making a tremendous difference in our church, beginning with the fact that we must have a purpose. We've got to have a purpose Uh, Nehemiah leads the people to rebuild the wall and he helped them to focus in on a single purpose. And we read it there in in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 17, where we were. Look back at that verse again. Uh, What does Nehemiah say? He says, Ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Uh, They have this one purpose in rebuilding the wall. They didn't want their city to be a reproach or a disgrace to their God. The opposition that existed in this time, uh, they they used this as a mockery of God's people. That God's city, the city of Jerusalem, what does God say about the city of Jerusalem? In the book of Psalms, he says, the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Uh, He means that God has a special love for the city of Jerusalem and God's city. The holy city is sitting there in disrepair. And the opposition to Jehovah God, the enemies of the Lord, they use this as a mockery of these individuals. And so over the years, the, the people of God there, as they've come back in, they've just kind of grown accustomed to it. they have just kind of okay with the status quo. We've got some things done, and, and I guess that's okay. And it just didn't didn't make a big, it wasn't a big deal to them. But Nehemiah looks at it, and it just, the burning desire of his heart is to see these walls rebuilt. To take away that reproach. And so now they have a purpose that's greater than the problem that's there. And the people began to rebuild the wall. Uh, Tommy Heigel, he said, an important principle is this, when the pain of continuing as we are is greater than the pain of change, we change. And the pain of disgrace finally became greater than the pain of rebuilding the wall. Was it a big task? Yes. That's why they hadn't done it. Uh, If you've looked at pictures of the walls of Jerusalem, things like that, you know what kind of uh, stones are involved. Uh, We probably wouldn't want to volunteer to go help do that kind of work. I mean, that's real manual rock work, Joey. We don't want to lay those kind of blocks, do we? But now they understand, okay, the disgrace that we're in, the reproach that it's bringing to the name of our God, uh, we can't allow this to, to happen, so we've got to move forward. We've got to do something about this. And to achieve anything for God, just like the the Jews here, we've got to have a purpose. Uh, Thankfully, the Lord gave us one. In Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, uh, the final words of Jesus are recorded here. And what is it? We call it the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Uh, We're to win people. We're to see people saved and we're to see people discipled. That's our purpose. That's the purpose of Liberty Baptist Church this evening, to win and make disciples. And in our own personal lives, that should be our goal. We're to be leaving behind followers of Christ, impacting people. And so we want to be motivated to make a difference in our church. How do we do that? Well, first, we've got to get that uh, purpose clear in our mind, and it's to bring glory to the name of God. We sung that song this morning, Glory to His Name. Uh, It's not about building up ourselves. Just like Nehemiah, he didn't have this purpose in mind. It wasn't so Nehemiah would be remembered for his great achievements. It wasn't so Nehemiah would have the spotlight on him. Uh, What was Nehemiah's goal? He wanted to bring glory to God because of it. The purpose here in our church, it's not to glorify one individual. Uh, We don't do what we do to glorify a pastor, any individual. We're all trying to work together to bring glory to God. Jesus said in John 15, verse number 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. That's our our purpose. That's our our goal. That's what we are united around here at Liberty Baptist Church, is making much fruit. Disciples. Why? Because it glorifies God. We think of people in Scripture, men like Stephen. Stephen had a purpose that he was willing to die for. The Apostle Paul, he had a purpose that he was willing to die for. Uh, Pastor James of the Jerusalem church had a purpose that he was willing to die for. Uh, These great disciples and the apostles and these early Christians, they had a purpose that motivated them and that drove them and that many of them were willing to give their lives for. And if our purpose for serving the Lord is not to bring honor and glory to God, uh, we're going to become tired and discouraged really fast. If we have other things that are driving us, we have the wrong drive. We have the wrong motivation. We have the wrong purpose. And like the Jews, we'll let our churches lie in ruins. So to make a tremendous difference in our church, first, we must have a purpose. We know what that is. Secondly, we must participate. We must participate. This is what we talked about this morning, isn't it? The task of rebuilding the wall, I mean, this is enormous. Uh, But how does Nehemiah overcome the problem? Uh, He got everyone to participate. Everybody joins in. Uh, What did we say this morning? We talked about how uh, in the day of Haggai, as they rebuilt the, the temple, began construction on it again. We talked about how everybody was to share in the burden. Everybody is to share in the work because then there's no strain on one or two or three single individuals. The work of God is to be shared by everyone. And so Nehemiah assigns each section of the wall to family groups or members of the small villages surrounding Jerusalem. So they form up into teams. 38 different leaders are listed. We read the first few names of some there in chapter 3. But Nehemiah assigns everyone a place to work Next to someone else. Because you notice as we read through these, it says that... Uh, and next to him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, And next to them. And next to this person. There was teamwork involved. They were standing side by side by side as they worked on the walls of Jerusalem... More than 30 times we see the words next or after in those phrases. D.L. Moody, he once said, many people have a false idea about the church. They have the idea that the church is a place to rest, to get into a nicely cushioned pew and contribute to the charities, listen to the minister, and do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy is all they want. The idea of work for them, actual work in the church, never enters their minds. That was a long time ago that D.L. Moody said that. We see it still the same today, don't we? People really don't change, do we? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what does Paul write about? He writes about the spiritual gifts that we have. When you got saved, the moment that you got saved, God gave you some spiritual gifts. And you know what God intends for you to do with those spiritual gifts? Use them. Not to glorify yourself. Paul had to make some corrections to the church at Corinth. Uh, he rebukes some of those who were trying to use their spiritual gifts to bring glory to themselves. That's not what it's about. What's our purpose? It's to bring glory to the God. And our spiritual gifts do that. And he likens Christians to members of the human body, with every member being important and each one of them having a special function to perform. Uh, I like what Warren Wiersbe said as he was talking about this. Uh, Wiersbe said, I recall the relief that came to my own heart when I realized God didn't expect me to do everything in the church, but rather to use the gifts he gave me in the task that he assigned. And if everyone has someone else next to them, Nehemiah knows that It's it's much more difficult to become discouraged when others besides you are working. If you have to do it on your own, uh, if one individual or two or three individuals had to complete the task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, uh, it's an enormous task and what? They would become discouraged and they become defeated and and they do just what they did years before when it came to the foundation. They got excited about the foundation, but then what happened? For 16 years, nothing goes on. And it would just sit there. And so he keeps everybody encouraged by putting one next to the other. And it's a, it's a reminder, and it's an example of, of what uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3.13, that we're to exhort one another daily. Why do we do that? Uh, that's one of the one another commands that are in Scripture. We have the command to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to edify one another, to build one another up daily. It's one of the things that you can do. It's one of the ways that you make a tremendous difference in your church when you take that one another command personally. I like how Adrian Rogers, he says, you know, when we go to the scriptures to study, uh, we should always look to see uh, what did it mean to the people that it were written to at the time that it was written. What does it mean today? What does it mean to me personally? We've got to take it personally. Exhort one another. And so the people, they finished this difficult task because they obeyed the same leader. They kept their eyes on the same prize. And they were serving the same God working together for the glory of God. And it didn't matter that there were enemies outside. It didn't matter that there was opposition to what was happening. They were united together uh, for their God-given task and nothing was going to distract them from it. It reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3.13. He said, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Uh, He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We've got to keep pressing forward, working together, exhorting one another. And so Nehemiah knows everyone has to be involved. Uh, everyone needs to feel ownership in the wall. Why? Because when you are involved and you feel ownership in something, just like we talked about this morning, when you're invested in that, where your treasure is there, will your heart be also? When you feel that you are, uh, have ownership in it, you care about it. You want to be involved. You want to see it succeed. You want to see it advance. Now, when you join the local church, it's like you take ownership in it. Now, this is it's not down at your church, over at their church. No, it's my church. Hey, why don't you come down and go to my church with me. I want you to see what's happening at my church. Take ownership in it. Take pride in it. Be excited about it. Be motivated by it. And as you get acquainted with the various people mentioned here in Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll find yourself thinking, man, uh, this uh, this is just like the church today. Circumstances may change, but human nature remains the same. And you'll notice that God uses all kinds of people. In verse number 1, the chapter uh, mentions the high priest. You'll see the high priest and the ruler. Verses 12 through 19, the rulers and the priests are mentioned again. Who else does God use? Look down to, to verse number 12. You've got the men working. But then in verse number 12, notice who else? Ruler of half part of Jerusalem, he and his... Daughters. You've got men and women both involved in the building of the walls. You've got the rulers and the priests. You've got men and you've got women. You've got professional craftsmen. Uh, When you look there at verse number 8, there were professional craftsmen that were involved. Uh, You have people from outside the city that were involved. Uh, There was a place for everyone. There was a job for everyone to do. There was a a need for people to be involved involved. And so we had all kinds of people involved in rebuilding the wall. And we're called to do likewise. Uh, Every single one of you that are here this evening, if you're a member of Liberty Baptist Church, uh, there is a place for you in the service of God. There's a place for you to be involved. Uh, And you'll not be fulfilled. Uh, You won't be doing what God has called you to do until you find that place and get plugged into it. You have something to contribute to building the body of Christ. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are, you have a place. You've got to find that place and get plugged in, get connected to it. Because there's others that are around you that are counting on you. And God's given us church leaders. He's given us pastors and he's given us teachers. Uh, What does Paul write in the book of Ephesians? He says, uh, these people are equipping us. Uh, These are the people that are leading us. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, For the edifying of the body of Christ. God wants you contributing to building up his church and his kingdom. That's why he's giving you those spiritual gifts. Uh, You can't be a spectator. You can't just sit there anymore. You've got to be engaged. You've got to be involved. And use those spiritual gifts to minister to others and to build them up. But then a problem arises for Nehemiah. When we go back there to verse number 5. We said everybody's supposed to be involved. But in this area where the wall's being built by the men of Tekoa, it was a small town about 12 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, It's where the prophet Amos was from. The nobles, verse number 5, put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Who are these people? Because the rest of their people were working. But you had some of these, I don't know, white-collar aristocrats. The manual labor, they weren't called to do that. Nope, we're not going to participate in that. And so they didn't put any effort into it. And, you know, every single church has its, you know, people of tacoa You've heard that saying, you know, the average church where you have uh, 80% of the people... You've got 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. You've got 20% who give 80% of the money and do 80% of the ministry. It shouldn't be that way. The work of the Lord requires everybody. Everyone should be involved. And it requires work. It requires sacrifice. It's not easy. Now, just like this last week, some of you gave up time. Some of you may have taken off of work. Some of you uh, sacrificed in order to go help some members when they are in church move. Some of you ended up with hernias from it. I don't know. That's real sacrifice. That's going the extra mile, right? But why do we do that? Because we use our our gifts to help, to show love. Don't be one of the ones who sit over there on the sidelines. Don't be one of the nobles of Tekoa that don't participate. Now, if we're not going to become discouraged, uh, we need to remember that in Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 10, we're told God's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. There may come times where uh, you might get overlooked. Somebody might miss how you're serving. Uh, someone might not notice exactly what you're doing. But God is not unrighteous to forget that. You've ministered to the saints and do minister. God's keeping the score. God's keeping a record. God has the account. Uh, One day you'll stand before him. The judgment seat of Christ, that's that's where we're rewarded for that. Now, most workers are glad to lay down their tools when the job's finished. But but these people that were working here on the wall, they begin to ask for additional uh, assignments. And it's kind of a reminder that, you know, it's not just enough to say we've done as much as others. But in the work of the Lord, we ought to keep doing it. As long as the Lord enables us to do it, we ought to keep serving Him. You don't come to the place where you're too old to contribute to the work of God. No matter your age, there's a way to be involved. And so if you're going to make a tremendous difference in your church, you've got to have a purpose, you've got to participate, and then lastly, we must praise. We must praise. And praise is it's very effective when it's done by name. And that's that's what this is an example of. These people worked tirelessly to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, he takes the time to note all of these individuals who worked. And he let them know that they weren't just the means to an end, were they? They were important. And he names these people who built the wall. And he named the parts of the wall that they built. And he names where they're from. And he treats them as important people who are worthy of praise. For example, look down to verse number 13. Notice what he praises them for here. The valley gate repaired Hanun. And the inhabitants of Zenoah they built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall. All through the chapter, we see Nehemiah is quick to give praise. He's quick to give honor and words of personal encouragement to those who are rebuilding uh, each gate and each section of the wall. Uh, you know, there are people, while we don't do it for the praise, we should be looking for ways to praise people. There's people even in our church that are serving behind the scenes and in ministries. uh, Places like the nursery, the kitchen, uh, the bus ministry. Places like that that may not be uh, front and center. The spotlights aren't shining on those ministries. And sometimes people who work in places like that, they can become discouraged. If they feel, man, nobody knows what I'm doing. Nobody cares what I'm doing. If I were just to quit doing this, would anybody even notice? Am I even making a difference? And some become discouraged. Uh, we all need to feel like what we're doing is important and appreciated. And it's something each one of us needs to work on in our lives. Uh, when I show up at church, who, who can I encourage? Uh, this week, who can I send a note to and tell them that I'm appreciative of their efforts for the Lord, of what they're doing to, to bring others about? Many of you would never notice, but, but Ms. Brenda, she shows up before the services. She'll be one of the first ones that walks through the door to clean, to vacuum, take out trash. People that, that you wouldn't even notice. I mean, the trash cans don't empty themselves. A lot of times, Paul and Dee, they'll be here during the week emptying trash cans. Uh, things don't just magically take care of themselves, do they? Many times we walk in. And we enjoy a service and we leave and go home. We don't think about what it takes to set up a service or what it takes to take down a service. Uh, there's people who give, who invest, who, who go above and beyond behind the scenes. And we ought to be thinking about those. Uh, who can we encourage? And we, we, there were some testimonies given uh, during our anniversary service where some people were mentioned specifically. And that's good. We'll have a pie and praise service next month. And as usual, many times, uh, people will take time to to give praise to somebody else for how they've made an impact in their life, for the service that they do for the Lord. I think it's biblical that we do that. Uh, Paul says, give honor to whom honor is due. Uh, The prophet Nehemiah, he obviously records all of these individuals. And so we should encourage one another. The Bible commands that we do that. And don't underestimate the importance of your encouraging words. It could be that the person that you that you try to encourage this week, they may be one of those discouraged individuals. They're right; they're teetering on the brink of, you know, maybe maybe I'll just quit whatever I'm doing. Maybe I'll stop serving in that capacity. Maybe I should just find a different church. And nobody there seems to appreciate it. the the power of our words. What is the what does the Bible tell us? There's life and death in the power of the tongue. You have the ability to encourage people. Uh, so many times we use our words to tear people down. It's a lot easier to do that, isn't it? It's easy to criticize and complain and point out all the faults. Uh, why don't we spend some time building people up and encouraging them? When we come to services, don't forget that's one of the primary purposes. What does uh, Hebrews ten twenty five say? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but what? Exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's one of the primary purposes that we gather for here at church. So let's be generous in giving words of encouragement and praise. You've probably heard it said, you know, that it's better to to give people praise and encouragement and and talk about how good it is uh, that they are in our lives now than waiting until their funeral to do it. The book of Proverbs tells us, heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop but a good word maketh it glad. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Uh, you can encourage people. You can build people up. Uh, we've got to praise. If you want to be a, make a difference in your church, uh, you, be the, you be the praiser. You look for people to encourage. I promise you, you'll make a difference in this church you'll make a difference in somebody's life because there's, there's discouraged people all around. Uh, you're probably sitting very close to a discouraged person tonight. Why don't you try to encourage them? Uh, no one person could have accomplished the work of repairing the walls restoring the gates. It took the leadership of Nehemiah, and it took cooperation on the part of the people. And every single one of them had a, had a place to fill and a job to do. And it's the same way with the work of God. If we're going to accomplish something, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to continue to be a light in our community, uh, we have to work together to finish the work for the glory of God. And Paul says what? He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You remember we we talked about this in our class a couple of weeks ago. In Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, Paul talked about some of the problems and the discouragements that he went through in his life. And he said, none of these things move me. Sometimes we can get, if you're one of those discouraged people that we're talking about tonight, then let me tell you, let me encourage you, uh, don't give up, uh, don't give in, uh, don't let those things move you or shake you. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So to make a tremendous difference in your church, you must have a purpose. We want to glorify God. We want to win people and make disciples. We've got to participate. Uh, it's, it's It's not the preacher's job to win everybody. It's not the preacher's job to go visit everybody. It's not the preacher's job... It's all of our jobs. We all have a role to fill in that. Somebody missed church, reach out to them. Take somebody out for a cup of coffee. Invite them over to the house for dinner to play some games. Participate and then praise. Some of you may be doing good on those first two things, but you haven't been doing good on the praise. I look for a way this week to change that. You say, man, I need to participate more. Uh, Hey, let's talk. Let's figure out where we can get you plugged in at. But we've got to be doing those three things. And if you do those three, you'll make a tremendous difference in your church. And that should be our goal. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity we've had to study the Bible. Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged by what we've heard. I pray that... Lord, that you would just give us unity in our church, that you'd help us to continue moving forward, working next to each other, side by side, just like the builders of the walls of Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that when there's opposition and there's discouragement, Lord, I pray that we would just uh, tune that out and that we would be there to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that uh, each of our people would find a way to participate in the work of the Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to to be looking for how we can contribute to the kingdom. God, I pray that we would be making a difference in our church, in our homes, in our families, and bringing honor and glory to you, that we would be winning and making disciples.